We're going to continue our journey through Joshua. And last week, we finished up the second major of Joshua, a major section of Joshua. So, the first section has to do with preparation. God's people preparing to move into the promised land. And the main idea behind that was holy work begins on holy ground. Meaning that their preparation for moving into the promised land had everything to do with their relationship with God. That was their major preparation. Then we moved into the second major section, which was war. And the, the idea behind that was fighting on God's terms. That's the only way that we can fight the war against evil is on his terms, not on our terms. And now, we're moving into the third section, which has to do with inheritance. And this... It's so funny. Joshua is one of these books that has all these like areas that people struggle reading through in the Old Testament. The war section is hard because of just the brutality that's in it. The part with inheritance is hard because most people find it just straight up boring. Right? It's, it's a bunch of lists of names, geographical terms. We aren't in, back in Israel during, during this time period, so we have no, some of these names they can't even find anymore just because of how long ago this was happening. And so reading these lists of names, it can be easy to be like, all right, let's just maybe skim a little bit and kind of get towards the end. And so what I want to, to help out with that is we're actually going to cover this section in one go. We're going to be going over eight chapters today. And the reason that we're doing that is my hope is to give you some handholds, give you some place markers, so that as you read through this, you can have your eyes open to not just see the truth within the scripture of this particular passage, but to are able to see Jesus within it as well. And like I challenged last week, is I want to encourage you, go ahead, read through these chapters. Read through them this week and read through them hopefully with a new set of eyes as we go through it. And the, the main point today is that we're called to live fully devoted in the land that God has placed us. That's going to be the main point today. And so as we talk about land, I want to invite you into thinking about Alaska. If there's one state in America that gets land, it's Alaska. Because most people have this dream, at least if you grew up in the state, of having kind of your own piece of land. I remember growing up and helping people, like, construct their houses, and it was kind of this dream that you'd have your, your own house on, like, at least two to three acres that you could make your own. But even think about the state in a bigger sense of things. Think about all the issues that come along with who owns what land. You've got federal land, you've got state land, you've got native corporation land, you've got private land, and how there's all these controversies that erupt over that. Have you ever wondered, like, why is that? Why has land always been the center point throughout all of human history? It's because it serves as this vehicle for our, our identity, right? Think about it. And you, you might, some of you might not be connecting with this, right? Maybe you're like me and you own an apartment. Like, land's just not even an option for you right now. But think about what your apartment's like. Like, if I walk into your apartment, I'm going to see who you are. Like, if I spend a couple of hours, I'm going to see the things that you love, most likely the things that you believe in, and all these, uh, you know, just start digging in people's drawers and stuff like that. Like, things start coming out, right? Like, this is what land does. That can happen within an area like an apartment. It can happen with someone who has a couple acres of land. You can even look at a state and its identity based on how they use the land and what that looks like. So I want to invite you into that, that we still, even today, land's an important 
thing. So as we jump into Joshua and we begin looking at this idea of land, um, know that it's something that still pertains to what we do today, how we live our lives as believers. So again, we are called to live fully devoted in the land that God has placed us. Would you pray with me before we jump into it? God in heaven, we just want to thank you for this time. Jesus, you wrote your words down in scripture, and we want to we want to lift you up high, and we want to come under the authority of your word and trust that it's true, that it's right, that it's good, Jesus. So I pray that even the times that we get to pour into this together on a Sunday afternoon, that it would extend throughout the week, that your words would be coming out of our mouths, that the, the things of your words would come through our actions, that they would dwell within our hearts. Spirit, we would just ask that you'd open our heart, open our eyes to see you today and to taste and see that the Lord is good. We pray this in your name. Amen. So, why land? This is like the pinnacle of Joshua. The war has been fought, and now they're going to divide into your land. If you look in your Bible, there's probably going to be some title as you move into chapter 13 that says something to the effect of the allotment of the land. And you should be asking, like, why is this so important? Well, go back to the beginning. Think about the way that God ordered creation and what happened. So he creates the universe. He creates planet. He creates planet Earth. And even as you, you look at the, the progression of, of how the Earth is created, there's land that comes out of the sea. It gets filled. And then you see within that land, there's the Garden of Eden, a place. This place is this perfect dwelling place where God is able to dwell with man in full relational presence. It's beautiful. And, and again, remember, land is this area that displays identity. It displays what we believe, how we live. And we see that within the Garden of Eden. What was man created to be? Was, we were created to be an image of God displaying him. And actually, there's a command given in Genesis, and that's to go forward and subdue the earth. So in, in a very real sense, Eden, this place, is supposed to move outwards. That's the intent. That's not what happened. Is it? There was brokenness. Sin came in. And I love this quote from Tim Chester. He says this, The subsequent fall when humanity decides to act like gods to themselves results in a punishment of being removed out of Eden and out of the full relational presence of God. The geography of humanity's early movements highlights their distance from the place of God's blessing. In every sense, we are a long way from walking with God in the garden. And I just want to say something real quick. Sometimes I, I'll, I'll pull quotes from good books. I just want to highlight this one r really quick by Tim Chester. It's one that I used in seminary this last semester. If you struggle reading the Old Testament, please pick up this book. This will open your eyes up to a lot of the major themes that are going in the Old Testament, how to see Jesus within those themes, and why it's relevant to your life today. Um, so it, uh, I believe the book is From Creation to New Creation. Really recommend it um, if, if this is something that um, interests you. So again, we have this area of land and what that looks like. So now as you move forward and watch the progression from Genesis as we move forward, God begins to form a new people, the Israelites. And he's given them this promise, this land that they're going to move into. And we've been walking through Joshua and seeing how there's been this battle to remove evil out of the land. Why? 
because it's supposed to be this place where his people are living fully devoted to God, reflecting out towards the brokenness of the nations all around them, okay? And so now it's time for that. Now it's time to divide the land between the tribes of, of, of Israel and, to, and the promises that God put in place that they would have this land and there would be a place for them to reflect God is coming true. And so we're called to live fully devoted in the land God has placed us. So what we're going to do now is kind of look at this allotment. Look from chapter 13 through 21. And, and what I'm going to do is, is walk through several pictures of inheritance through the allotment of land and how that helps us learn how we can live fully devoted in the land God has placed us in. So first of all, first picture we have is holy promised. So if you turn with me to Joshua 13, we're going to look at verse 1 and 2 as it begins this section. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. This is the land that yet remains. And in the next couple of verses, he goes over those place names and walks through it. And then in verse, uh, verse 6, he says this, I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel, only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. So we're faced with this kind of odd place to be in. Okay, so they've been battling for many years, for a couple of years now, going against their enemies, and yet what is God saying here? He's saying that not everything's done yet. Well, how's that? I mean, wouldn't it be a lot nicer if you were Israel to be like, sweet, everything's done, we can just chill, sit on the front porch, drink some lemonade, enjoy the inheritance of the land, and yet, there's still land left. So, through this complete, this section, from 13 to 21, we've got these other hints, this kind of juxtaposition that's going on within this. So if you look at uh, Joshua 18, verse 1, this is the hinge point of the section. It says this, Then the whole congregation of the people of Israel assembled at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. The land lay subdued before them. But wait a minute. Is it fully subdued? Why does it say that in, in chapter 13 then? And if you go to the end of this section, in Joshua 21, this is kind of the conclusion to the whole allotment of the land. In verse 43, 21-43, it says, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And they took possession of it. And he says that the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore. So this seems kind of odd. This is, what I, uh, this is a big picture here that is so relevant to today. Because people will come to faith in Jesus, and then they run into this problem that happens. They're like, wait a minute, I'm still struggling with sin. I'm still dealing with the lies of the enemy. And I'm still seeing death and destruction around me. How does that make sense? Why isn't everything just made better? Why doesn't God just do that? And yet we see this same exact picture in the allotment of the land where God has brought major victory but yet there's still these areas that need to be worked out. Just like Jesus brings us victory in the cross, and yet there's still work to be done, and he's using his church to go into the land and make disciples that make disciples. And sometimes I, I, I can't help but thinking that Israel kind of got this. 
They saw the responsibility. They saw the working relationship that God intentionally has made between us and him to say, all right, I've accomplished the major victory. In fact, I'm still going to go with you into that. And that's the thing is he's calling Joshua and the Israelites to still trust him, to still trust that he's going to provide for them, protect them, and that his presence is with them as they work this out, as they finish reclaiming the land. So we see this in Philippians 3, 12 through 14. As Paul writes his letter to the church, he says, not that I have already obtained this, and he's talking about the eternal inheritance, eternal life that we're given, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so this passage in Joshua, this section, is calling us to that same upward call. To see that, yeah, there's still work to be done. Yeah, we're still going to have to do some battle. But the Lord's going before us, and he's going to bring us right to the end. So that's the first picture. We are called to be fully devoted to Jesus in the land he has put us in by trusting wholly in his promises and continue doing that. The next picture we're given is holy following. So if we look, if we go from chapter 13, we're going to move into chapter 14 in verse 7 through 9. And this is Caleb who is speaking right now. And he says this, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet I followed the Lord. I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot is trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever. Because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. So just as a reminder, Israel's moved into the promised land, but this isn't the first time they came to the promised land. That happened a whole generation ago when they came to the border. And and God had just rescued them out of Egypt. They're going to move in, and they send spies into the land. Two of those spies is Joshua and Caleb, who have now led Israel now into the promised land. And then ten of those spies... Ten other Israelites were spies with them. So when they came back, ten of those spies were like, man, the enemy's way worse than we thought. Let's go back to Egypt was the conclusion. It'd be better there. And then Caleb and Joshua said, no, there's, there's goodness in the land, and we need to trust God and move forward. And those are the only two from that generation, Caleb and Joshua, because they wholly followed the Lord, that they got to taste and receive the promises of God. So first of all, we see Caleb wholly following God for like 40 plus years. Have you ever met someone who's done that? You know, some of these, these like, you know, I think of like Bob Sagotis. That's the guy I think of. He's like a Caleb, you know. He's, he's this guy who's been following Jesus for a long time, and there's something just so sweet. I think of one of my seminary professors who, like, I cried on his shoulder like this this last time I went down, you know, as a young guy being like, you know, how am I going to get through this thing? And he just gets a smile on his face, you know, and you're like, darn it, like, you've gone through this. Like, you're so much farther ahead than me. It's so sweet. It's so beautiful. And isn't that the cry for us is that being wholly devoted to God in this land means, hey, 
Holy follow him. Holy follow God when everyone else won't. Holy follow God even in your old age. Holy follow God even into danger against some of the most dangerous enemies. And that's what we see as we look at Caleb's story. He, <laughs> he embraces the fact that there's still land to be conquered, and he asks for it. He's like, no, I'm going to take the inheritance. God has been so faithful all these years, I'm going to continue trusting in him. Read his story and see what he does in the rest of chapter 14. And then we see that he goes against some of the most dangerous enemies as well, the Anakin, who not only were they fierce foes, but when you start looking into the Old Testament descriptions of these guys, there's demonic influence there. Like, these aren't easy foes, and yet he has all this confidence to wholly follow God into the inheritance. And so we see in Joshua 15, 14, the the fact that Caleb, he accomplishes it. God's promises are faithful. And so we see that Caleb wholly follows God. The next picture, actually before we go to that, there's some questions you know, in each of these pictures that I want to encourage you to think about. With this, I want to encourage you, will we as a church wholly follow God and his will where he tells us to go? Think about Jesus. Luke 22, 21 through 42, we're welcomed right into where Jesus is right before he goes to the cross. And it says this, he was praying in the garden and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So we see Jesus demonstrating for us what it looks like to wholly follow. And what does Jesus do when he calls his disciples? He usually says, follow me. And it usually comes at some cost to them. There's, he usually picks that pain point of like they have to leave their family or maybe they have to leave their work behind or they have to leave their wealth behind in order to follow him. And it's this big display of saying following Jesus is worth everything and that's what we see within Caleb who says it's worth following God. It's worth following Yahweh with your whole entire life. So the next picture is holy just. Living holy just in the land. So this looks at Joshua 17, verses 3 through 4. It says this, Now Zelophehad, the son of Hepher, son of Gilead, son of Machir, son of Manasseh, had no sons, but only daughters. And these are the names of his daughters, Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milcah, and Terza. They approached Eleazar the priest, and Joshua the son of Nun, and the leader, and said, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance along with our brothers. So according to the mouth of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among the brothers of their father. Holy just. If you want to watch a really good video on the idea of like biblical justice, the Bible Project put out a really good one. And they they had this great visual of how justice, if you think about the scales of justice, it's bringing balance, right? You think of words like fairness and, and how someone can be in the land and act justly. And so what this story of these daughters, of these women invites us into is that this was a, honestly a tough time to be a woman in those kind of days. And yet there is this beautiful picture of these daughters, a 
guy who has no sons, he just has daughters, and it would be so easy for someone to kind of push down on that family to say, maybe it would be next of kin, right, who may have a son and be like, you know what, I think we probably deserve that plot of land and kind of expand their own kingdom. Or another way to go about it is to be like another tribe who doesn't have that allotment and be like, you know what, we could set up a sweet marriage here and get that land and pull it into from that tribe over to our tribe. And so God, through Moses early on, figured this part out in order to bring justice to this family who has daughters, and they're able to approach. I, I love some of the commentators that I was reading about this, just this idea of this dad with his daughters coming forward and saying, hey, justice needs to be done. We need to have the land that is required of this, and that happens. And what I love about this is it, it's an illustration for us of making others' problems your problems, being concerned with those who might be at a disadvantage. And the question I have here is, will we wash each other's feet? Okay, this is going back to what Jesus did. Right before he goes to the cross again, where he demonstrates this picture of, of justness in a way that, that is radical, where he puts himself at a disadvantage in order to lift others up, and he does it through this, this radical metaphor where the thing that a servant is supposed to do at a dinner table is they go and wash the feet of the people who've been walking in manure and dust all day, and yet the Jesus, fully God, fully man, gets on his knees, puts himself at a disadvantage in order to wash the feet of his disciples. And what does he say? Go and do likewise. Put yourself as a disadvantage to lift others up. Why? Because Jesus showed us ultimately what that looked like on the cross, going from the highest of heights and going to the very lowest depths in order to see that we could be reunited with the presence of God through his death on the cross and his resurrection. How beautiful is that? And he calls us to demonstrate that as well. We are wholly devoted to God when we wash each other's feet in the land that God has put us. We live wholly devoted. The next picture is wholly responsible. Going a little farther in chapter 17, verses 14 through 15, it says this. And the people of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given me but one lot and one portion as an inheritance? Although I am a numerous people, since all along the Lord has blessed me. And Joshua said to them, If you are a numerous people, go up by yourselves to the forest, and there clear ground for yourselves in the land of the Perizzites and the Rephaim, since the hill country of Ephraim is too narrow for you. This is a fascinating picture because it's contrasted with what we see in Caleb. Caleb was all gung-ho to say, yeah, I'm going to go into the land, I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to remove the evil that's there, and God does it. And then we see this whole tribe who's like, man, the land we got's way too narrow for us, you know. And the, and the indication there is like, hey, give us some, some of that easier land, some of that easier land that we can settle in and kind of invest in, and maybe pull it from someone who's a little smaller than we are. And Joshua, knowing what's going on, pushes them and says, no, there's land. You just got to do some work. You got to do some work and follow God into that land, trust in his promises like Caleb did. And so, what does that look like? Well, one, Joshua's calling them into a deeper faith to follow God, to trust in his promises, to see the work that he's going to do. But the question it should leave us with is will we steward all that we've been given for God's glory? Will we live responsible in this land where God's placed us for him? And not lazily, right? Like, one of the examples I thought of is I, I bought a pair of skis right at the end of the ski season. 
okay? So it's taking up space in my house. I spent money on it. And the reason I did that was because I had someone challenge me for the ski season next year and say, hey, I want you to ski this race with me. And if I'm going to be responsible with that, then I need to get my butt out and ski. Like, not leave it taking up space in my house, not wasting my family's money, having invested in those skis and taking responsibility for even my own health and my physical health and getting out and doing that. Well, the same thing happens with us in how we pursue Jesus and how we live responsibly today for him. Again, we see Jesus' example with this when he, in his prayer in the garden in John 17, 12. He says this, While I was with them, talking of his disciples, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now think about that. This is Jesus showing everything, God, that you've given me, I have fulfilled. I've walked out, and we know that looking at, at scripture, that every piece of, of the law that needed to be fulfilled, Jesus was able to do that because he lived wholly responsible. So what are we called to be responsible for? <laughs> this is, we're called to be responsible, yes, in many things, all the, all the things we've been given in our individual lives, but I, w- I want to take it up a notch. I think if you look at the New Testament and you look at the things God calls us to be responsible for, it's for each other in the church. We are responsible for the church. Think about it, especially if you look at Acts 2, 42 through 47 and Acts 4, 32 through 37. These are deep passages that calls us responsible for each other, for our growth in Christ, for us relationally, for us physically, even economically, like the list goes on. And when you start looking at all the letters and start putting these pieces together, we are responsible for each other. We're supposed to steward each other, steward the church. We are wholly responsible. And think about that in light of what's happening in Joshua as we live in this responsibility of God's given us Uh, he's given us a commission to go in the land and make disciples. And when we do that as a church and we're responsible for each other, it's this beautiful picture to a broken city, to a broken world of what God's able to do through us. The next picture we see is holy merciful. So what is mercy? What does that mean? Getting something, or rather not getting something that we do deserve. So look at Joshua 20, 1 through 3, says this, And the Lord said to Joshua, Say to the people of Israel, Appoint the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be, those cities shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. So again, this is something that was set during the time of Moses, these cities that are set apart so that if someone accidentally killed someone, they'd have a place where they could find safety and refuge. And that may seem kind of weird, like how do you accidentally kill someone? I think we're familiar with it because it's almost like imagine driving your car and hitting a pedestrian. And we got rules and regs for what that looks like here in Alaska and the city of Fairbanks. But for them, what they're trying to avoid, especially back in this time, is blood feuds where someone dies and the impact that means upon a family is huge. And the reality is, is a person deserves punishment. And yet there's these cities of refuge that are set in place. 
And I believe one of the references here that, that is a picture for us is to see these, just even read through the Psalms and see the pictures of where God is a refuge for us. And ultimately, the refuge is seen in the cross. Jesus' blood shed for us, covers us, is a refuge for us. And if you read in Romans 5, it says, even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even though we're completely guilty, we are given a place of refuge. So the question here is, will we reflect the gospel to those who don't deserve it? Now this is big, because people hurt us. People, many times, unthinkingly, or maybe even purposely, hurt us in different ways. And yet, what are we called to do? The, the, the image that Jesus Christ gives through his gospel is that we've been given such a mercy through Christ that we need to see others through that lens of mercy. And so, again, will we reflect the gospel to those who don't deserve it? The last picture is the major point of this entire sermon, which is living wholly devoted. This is in Joshua 21. The whole chapter is talking about the Levites and and the cities that they dwell in and how they're scattered throughout the entire promised land. But you get these little drops throughout all the chapters from 13 to 21. And in a 13, Joshua 13, um, it says this. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel is their inheritance, just as he said to them. So they don't get a big swath of land. Instead, the Lord God is supposed to be their inheritance. And this is huge, because the direct correlation between us and the Israelites back then are priests. And what I mean by that is, look at 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12. He's talking to the church and he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. If you back up a little bit in 1 Peter, you know what he calls us? We're called priests. All believers and Christians were fully devoted to the Lord. And we're called to be fully devoted in the place that he has put us. That we're like sojourners and exiles. Why? Because that's what Christ was. He goes from the, the beautiful place of heaven in the full relational bliss that is the Trinity. He comes down to earth, coming out of that place here. He grows through death on the cross, as rending that happens within that. He becomes a sojourner in exile. In fact, he even uses descriptions like foxes, animals out there have a place to lay their head, and yet I don't have one. And then who are we as believers? Well, we're very similar. We don't have this necessarily looking for this big plot of land that we're to live in. Wherever God puts us, we're supposed to live fully devoted to him in whatever land, whatever place that he has put us. So when we get through this whole section, There's a big question at the end of it, or there should be. And that is, will they do it? Will Israel live fully devoted to the Lord in the land that he has given them? And unfortunately, there's another theme that gets sprinkled throughout this whole section. In Joshua 15, 63, it says this. But the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the people of Judah, could not drive out So the Jebusites dwell with the people of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. 
And you'll see hints like this in Joshua 16.10, Joshua 17.12. What are these? They're saying there are these areas and these groups that, that Israel were commanded to, to, to push out of the land. Their battle against evil was still going on. And yet, they don't do it. And what's interesting is that it happens to be Jerusalem is one of those places where that happens. Think about that for a minute. You see, Israel would go on to not live up to what they were supposed to be. Israel was supposed to be this, this land placeholder displaying Israel's faith and the promises of God, and they fail. And then think about Jerusalem. See the ultimate failure. Thousands of years later, when the Messiah comes, Jesus Christ, and the Jews, the Israelites, would put the Messiah on the cross there in Jerusalem. It's like the ultimate show of evil and what that looks like. So, they aren't able to do it. But isn't that where we're at? We're called to live wholly devoted to the Lord. And yet, if you're like me, you struggle with this. You struggle showing mercy. You struggle to live justly. You struggle to live holy following the Lord in all these pictures that we see. So where is our hope? The hope is at the very end of this section. It's one of the most beautiful verses. The end of chapter 21, and it, it's a, a conclusion to this whole section. The last verse is 45. It says, Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. The reason we have hope is because God fulfills his promises. <laughs> That's the hope of Israel because Jesus is coming. And in Jesus, all those promises would be fulfilled. Because you see, the, the land in Israel is just this little picture. It's supposed to make us anticipate a greater kingdom that's to come. And that's where we are here in the church today. What, what is our goal? What is the land that we're shooting for? We're shooting for the entire earth. Look at the beginning of Acts. What does it say? It says, go and make disciples and start in Jerusalem. Go into Judea. Go into Samaria. Go to the ends of the earth and make disciples. Why? Because on the cross, Jesus, when he died and he rose again, he opened up the way so that when we put our faith in him, we are given an inheritance in him, a beautiful inheritance. And we receive that in the right now. We have that inheritance. But there's a full coming that's going to happen. It's that already but not yet. And we're anticipating when Jesus comes again. And this land is completely cleansed. And we get to live in a new heaven and a new earth. We get to be in what Eden was meant to be. Where God's full relational presence is with us. And that is worth all of this. So what do we do as followers of Jesus Christ? What do we do? We trust in his promises. So that when, yeah, we mess up and we put sin, well, guess what? Jesus wholly followed God. Jesus wholly, was wholly devoted to God while he was here on this earth. All the things that we could not do, Jesus did. And so we live under that refuge. We live under that protection so that we have the power to live in this land according to God's terms. So, my encouragement to you as you move into this week is to use that, to come before God genuinely with some of these questions. And so, some of those questions you may want to ask is, where do you need to follow God? Where has he been calling you, leading you? Maybe that's like place-wise, but maybe that's just simply there are areas of your life that you've held on for your own glory, for your own kingdom, that you need to relinquish to him and follow him in. 
Whose feet do you need to wash? Is there someone that you need to get on your knees and metaphorically wash their feet, take care of them? Who in the church do you need to encourage, strengthen, or support? That goes back to this idea of being responsible for the church and areas that God may be calling you to and specific people. I, you know, just a quick shout out. Um, I had a rough week about, I don't know, it was about a week and a half ago. And God brought about four or five people at just the right time just to pray over me who didn't know what I was going through, didn't know the inner struggles that were going on, and yet he did that. Those were people who were encouraging, strengthening, and supporting me. I didn't deserve it, and yet they took the responsibility and did it. Like, I was blessed by that. So maybe there's someone out there that you need to do that to. And lastly, who do you need to reflect the gospel to who doesn't deserve it? There might be someone that you need to show mercy to that doesn't deserve it, and yet look at how God has done that through his death and resurrection. So as a church, we want to be fully devoted to Jesus. While we're here in Fairbanks, Alaska, wherever he moves you, wherever, you're, wherever you end up, he's got you here for a reason, to live wholly devoted to him. We're going to close, and we do communion every week because we need to do communion. We need that gospel reminder every single week and how Jesus was able to live wholly devoted on our behalf. So when you break the bread, when you drink of the juice, it's to remind us of what Jesus did on the cross. He fought the battle we could not fight on our own. And so I encourage you, come and praise of what Jesus has done. Praise him for the inheritance that we have in him. Thank you for these stories that are written down. And I just, you know, one of my prayers is that even through walking through books like Joshua, we can reclaim the Old Testament and its beauty and how it reflects Jesus and his redemption. So let's pray. And uh, as we're going into worship, I encourage you, uh, take some time, take communion. When you're done, please pick up your kids from Radiant, from Radiant Kids. I always forget to remember that. But we want to spend some time worshiping and responding to God's truths. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, um, man, you are, you're the sovereign victor. And, I, and the people who are here in this room right now, who are here in this place, all the followers of Jesus who are scattered through the city are here for a reason, and it's to make disciples to the ends of the earth. So, God, I just pray that um, we'd fight together for that. All these pictures that we've looked at, God, would your spirit just open up our eyes to where we need to grow? where we need the trust in your promises, live wholly devoted to you in the land that you've put us in. Jesus, I pray that the people of Radiant Church would make a mark on those in our city in such a way that, um, man, God, your gospel would move into dark places. I thank you so much for this time, and God, this time of worship, communion, even our conversations after we're done, I just pray that it just be one worship service for you that would continue on into the week. I pray this in your name. Amen.